0: This is a recording being made in the Chapel of the Open Book under the covering title of Casting Their Shadows Before, which is a series of studies in outstanding characters in Old and New Testament. At the present moment we're looking at one outstanding character, the Apostle Paul. And it is our custom at this meeting to read a portion of Scripture together so that those of you who are listening to this recording, if you care to join us, Will you switch off for a little while and read with us the ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles verses 1 to 31. At our last meeting we were looking at some outstanding characteristics that are written in the scriptures of this man, an earthen vessel as he calls himself, a man of like infirmity to ourselves as he admits, and yet very precious to us, because of the way which he was used of the Lord in the ministry of his word, specially directed to us, Gentiles. Well, I thought that as this was a series that we are not taking consecutive studies, we would turn aside again this evening to look at some things which we know already it's a mere matter this evening of accumulating them, docking them, keeping them in our mind. But it may be useful if not to you in this meeting this evening, it may be useful to some who may not be so well acquainted. Now the first thing that I would like us to notice is the statement that our Lord made through Ananias in the appointment of this man in Acts 9, verse 15, 16. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. And what he was to do was to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And the consequences were that he was to be shown how great things that ministry was going to cost him for the namesake of Christ. Now that is the opening words. They are the opening words. They are the way in which our Lord himself defined this man's calling. And everything that comes subsequently in the ministry of Paul flows from this. So let's spend a moment or two as these are the words of the risen Christ. These are the words that he sent by his messenger. Let us take heed and see what they import. First of all what about this word vessel? A chosen vessel Yes, that's, we ought to mention the word chosen. It's obvious. We, we think only of one verse and it's near enough. In the Gospel according to John, our Saviour turned to others that he'd chosen, as apostles, and he reminded them. He says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. It would be a very sad thing if we woke up to discover that the twelve apostles of the Lamb and the apostles to the Gentiles had all chosen their office themselves, that opens a door for possibilities that's too dread for us to contemplate. But it's not so. That's entirely ruled out. When you come to think of the Apostle Paul himself, he makes it so plain that before his very birth, he was separated unto the gospel of God. And when he was a persecutor, and a Pharisee, an injurious, all the time. He was known of God. And the time was approaching when that man who was out to persecute the very name of Jesus was going to look up into heaven and say to him, Lord, if you could imagine what a revolution that must have been for a Pharisaic Hebrew to look up to heaven and call Jesus of Nazareth For the great Old Testament title, Lord, then you begin to penetrate a little bit of the magnificence and the magnitude of his commission and his witness. He was chosen. The word vessel, in our use of it, doesn't quite give the full meaning of this passage. Will you turn to the 27th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, and I hope you know that that has to do with a shipwreck, And so you may possibly think I'm going to point to a verse where it says, and the vessel was very much tossed about by the waves. Now that would be quite true if you read that in today's paper, that a ship was caught in the storm and the vessel went down with all hands. Well, although this speaks about a ship, in this 27th chapter, it never calls the ship a vessel. But if you'd like to see verse 19, how the word vessel it's translated, it may be useful. Verse 19. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling. That's the word vessel. We cast out the vessel. Oh, you couldn't say that. Tackling. So you see, it's far wider than nearly an earthen pot. We have, we've been so concerned and thought how the apostle had called himself an earthen vessel we've come to the conclusion that it always means a bit of pottery. But he said earthen, ostracon, and that means pottery. But he wrote to Timothy, he said in a great house, there are vessels of gold and there are vessels of silver and vessels of wood and vessels of earth. So you see, the word means far more than a galley pot. It means anything that may be of service, either in a home or on a farm or on a ship or in a business, that's a vessel. And the Lord said, when he chose Paul, he is a chosen... Now, what are you going to put there? Vessel. I'm trying to rid our mind of the gallipot and fit it with something wider and richer and fuller. So, in order to make sure of this, I'll give you two or three more. In verse 17 of this day chapter, which, when they had taken up, they used help's, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake vessel, no, you can't say that, strake sail, and so were driven. So the sail that was used to impel the ship through the sea was a vessel. You try to talk to somebody outside and they look at one another and they, you see, that's only because of the way in which language has altered its meaning. So the tackling of the ship and the sail of the ship was a vessel, used by the very same writer in the same book, the Acts of the Apostle, you see? Then if you'll turn back just to two more, it may be just um, useful. Matthew the twelfth chapter, verse 29. Matthew the twelfth chapter, verse 29. speaking. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house? Well, you know what the word is there. It's his goods. All those things that legitimately belong to a household are his goods. And then one other reference will be sufficient. Seventeen, Luke 17, verse 31. Luke 17, verse 31. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come back to take it away. His stuff. Anybody in this meeting doesn't know what stuff means in a house? I think I told you, friends, and I'd like to mention it, it gives me opportunity, I've asked you in a meeting in order that I may explore every avenue and leave no stone unturned, as a politician says, that I mislaid or lost a manuscript. That is to say, about 400 pages of typewritten manuscript. And it was getting on my mind as to what a work I've got to do if that's gone. Well, because we had some stuff in our bathroom which had to be moved when the decorator came in, and dumped upstairs in a tiny room at the top. And then because that stuff was going to be sorted out and put in its right place, suddenly, underneath a pile of junk, the missing manuscript revealed itself. So we know, and I hope you know, that this is very true. Stuff, said the Lord, in your house. Don't go back to take it. Well, that's good enough then for the moment. The Apostle Paul was the implement, the furniture, the goods, To tackle anything and everything that might be, shall we take the words, meat for the master's use. That's what he, how he speaks about, in a great house, that are not only vessels of wood, and earth, but gold and silver, which way round you put it. But he says, Tom Timothy, you seek to be a vessel unto honour, meat for the master's use. And that is, of course, something to be aimed at. Well, now the next thing is, in this ninth chapter of the Acts, when our Lord gave his first commission to Paul, he not only said he's a chosen vessel, but he said he's a chosen vessel unto me. That's meat for the master's use, isn't it? A chosen vessel unto me. Later on, this same chosen vessel is going to say that I am the apostle for you Gentiles. I'm the prisoner of the Lord for you Gentiles, unto you. But if you ever thought that Paul put the Gentile first, you'd be wrong. This man, from the very beginning, was associated with Christ so intimately that the rest of his life is summed up in his own language. For me to live is Christ. And he summed up his gospel that when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal what? His son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Never said the word gospel but that's what it was, wasn't it? And here's a man who is going to be separated not only to introduce as no other speaker in the New Testament did, the great foundation, basic fact of justification by faith. This man is going to introduce into the New Testament, as no other one ever did, the word reconciliation. He's going to speak about mysteries that were never revealed until revealed to him. And yet it's all summed up in our Lord's own words, he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear My name. Because you see, after all said and done, dispensational truth is only seeing Christ in his appropriate place. Dispensational truth has to do with the kingdom of Israel on the earth. But Christ is there. He's their king. No kingdom without him. And the second sphere of blessing is the bride. But surely the bride of the Lamb. No bride without him. And the third sphere of blessing is the church of the one body. But are we going to walk about with the head under our arms or the thing? No, this is a body with a head and the head Christ. So you've only got to put Christ in his right place, head, bridegroom, king, and you've got all the callings and all the differences summed up in that one expression. And how more blessed it is to be emphasizing where Christ sits at the right hand of God than where I'm going to be. All that must follow as the day, the night, if we belong to him. That where he is, in connection with our own calling, there shall we be also. And no believer in any sphere would wish to have it otherwise. So now we've got, he was a chosen vessel, he was a chosen vessel, he was a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. This word, to bear, useful to consider it really means to bear as a porter carries goods this word, the word that gives us the word porter enters into our language quite a good bit transport you remember and uh, many other ways to carry to bear so will you just look at one or two to emphasize this feature as well back again to Matthew this time chapter 3 Verse eleven, and you will here have another servant of the Lord, a very different character from the Apostle Paul, but very, very devoted to the same Christ as Paul was. Matthew three verse eleven, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes are not worthy to be, be- worthy to bear. Now in the east. The lowest and most menial task that anyone can perform is to deal with the footwear or the washing of the feet of anybody. And you can quite understand it, can't you? And John said, I'm not worthy to bear his footwear. I wonder what the effect was on that little group when at the last supper our Saviour rose from the supper, divested himself of his cloak, took a towel and girded himself, and began to wash the disciples' feet. That's the word to bear. I'm not worthy to bear. And so we get in chapter 20, verse 12, another aspect of this chapter 20, verse 12. It's in the parable, saying, these last have wrought but one hour, And thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. The Apostle Paul knew that, that meaning of the word to bear. Bear my name through the burden and the heat of the day. For it meant that he was continually exposed to persecution for the sake of Christ's name. And Luke 22 verse 10, just to get further light upon this important word. Luke 22, verse 10. He said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Carrying a pitcher of water, apparently, on his shoulder. And then we must include, I don't think I linked her to it, Galatians 6. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, that's the bearing. So it's not merely that the name was written on the vessel. You know, we've conjured up the idea of a a vase or something with some nice decoration on it and the name on it. Well, that may be good enough, but it was something more than that in the case of the appointing of this man. He had to bear that name. Bear it. Almost as though it were a burden. Well, then the next is that he shall bear my name before the Gentiles. Now, to us, that seems quite normal. We know over and over again how the Apostle claimed to be the Apostle of the Gentiles. But put yourself into the times when that was said. That's putting things out of their legitimate and proper order, apparently. And I wonder whether Ananias was a little bit diffident about it. Because we are told elsewhere that he was uh, one who was beloved of the circumcision, and and rather a a stickler for the points of the law, and yet he came to this man, and he was told he was going to put Gentiles and kings before Israel. Do you remember, in the same writer, that's Luke, not in the Acts, but in the Gospels, he gives you another example, that old Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that's what he was waiting for, when he took up the infant Christ, he said, a light." to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. Gentile first. That's Luke. That's the Acts. That's Paul. See, there's no mistake about it. Up till now, salvation had been of the Jews. Up till now, it was ministering to the Jews. Pentecost was associated with the Jews gathered together at Jerusalem. It says so in the scriptures. And then, because of their attitude, you remember they stoned Stephen, they plugged their ears, they lashed on him with their teeth, and at that moment the end of the seventh chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, when that took place there stood up a man a young man named Saul and that standing up of that young man Saul, coming at a crisis like that was a little indication of the change that was coming, and the young man Saul He's going to change his name. Not to change his name, but he's going to be reminded that, that he did have a changed name. He's going to be called Paul, a Latin name because he was going to be the servant of the Lord to the Gentile. He stood before kings. You remember on one occasion in his trial King Agrippa came and the Roman governor was a bit perplexed to what to do with this uh, peculiar prisoner. So as King Agrippa had good knowledge of Jewish ways and customs, he consented to hear it. And Paul talks to Agrippa quite sensibly and quite familiarly, but not disrespectfully. He could speak to kings. And then, the children of Israel, oh, how he longed for them. When he wrote his great epistle to the Romans, he didn't forget, although he was ministering to the Gentiles, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And I believe he was permitted to read, to write one epistle, unsigned by him, except it's signed all over by him, the epistle to the Hebrews, to his own people. And Peter says, at least if he didn't write the epistle to the Hebrews, Peter says, he has written to you, that's his company. So he wrote something to them. And I think it must have been that epistle. Well, here it is then. Here is this man. And then the added words suffering. If you read all that is recorded, you can could hardly believe that a man could endure it. And yet you conscious that they had to wring some of these things out of him before he mentioned it. He said, oh, you made me a fool in my boasting. In prisons oft, beaten with rods, scourged, shipwrecked, day and night in the deep, spells of sleeplessness. And he sums it up, I bear in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in my mortal flesh. Well, there's the man. Well, now, on this chart that we have in front of us, there is just set out, as I said earlier, nothing new. But sometimes it's good to bring out of your treasury things old as well as new. And it won't do us any harm to make sure that these simple statements, these titles that belong to this man, are appreciated by us. Now, right in the further corner, over against the word apostle, you'll see a sort of broken circle, with two arrow marks on it. One half the circle coming down, the other half the circle going up. One has the word A against it, the other the word HP. Now, why is that? well I'm just going to mention what I've said before that on one occasion somebody talking to me says oh he says I know who you call the chiefest of the apostles I said oh who he said the apostle Paul oh I said no but then of course I purposely misled him oh he said I didn't think you'd say Peter was I said I didn't well he says who else is there I said you look at Hebrews chapter 3 consider him The Apostle and High Priest of our profession. That's Christ. Christ is the Apostle and all other Apostles take their marching orders and their power from him. He said, as my Father has sent me, I send you. He that refuses you doesn't refuse you, he refuses me. And he that refuses me refuses him that sent me. That's apostolic succession, friends, that's real, isn't it? And the broken circle is only this, that as the apostle, he left the glory, sank down to the death of the cross, he couldn't go lower, and then as the high priest, with that finished work, he ascended and sat down at the right hand of God, work done. That's the apostle. Well now, the apostle I put underneath the word apostle, just the word apostello, because that means, I send. Would you like to look at Matthew 20, verse 2? Just to get this simple piece of usage of a word before your mind. 20, verse 2. And when he had agreed with the neighbors for a penny a day, he sent them, apostello, into his vineyard. Sent them. They were apostles. You can't have someone who is sent without being an apostle. But not in the scriptural sense. But don't you see, the word has no ecclesiastical connections. If you send a laborer into a vineyard, apostello, you send it. And so with all the other references. Uh, John 10.36 may be useful, just as another check John 10.36 Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world that thou blasphemest because I said I am the Son of God. Here is claiming that he was sent into the world and you know in the great prayer of John 17 that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Well, that's the word apostle. Now, there's many other features which we ought to introduce, but if you're looking at the chart, as those of you who will receive this recording will do also, I think I'll have to leave some of those to speak for themselves. There were twelve apostles chosen while Christ was upon earth. Matthias was added to the eleven, because Judas had vacated or lost the place, and the Saviour had said that when he returned, his apostles should sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, there were only eleven of them. And Matthias and the one other one, Joseph, or Barthabas, they were the only two who conformed to the requirement? the beginning of the baptism of John, until this day when it was taken up, must one be chosen, Matthias. In Ephesians 4, we have an entirely new order of apostles. When he ascended, when he ascended, he gave some apostles. That cannot be the twelve apostles, because they were all appointed before Christ ascended. You say, what about Matthias? Well, he was numbered with them, but he was there all the time, qualifying for it. But the Apostle Paul was the first one of a new order of apostles that belonged to a different calling and ministered to a different company. Well, I'll move from that, let it speak for itself, and come to the next word. He claims to be not only an apostle in 1 Timothy chapter 111, but a preacher. Now, in the ordinary sense of the word, a preacher is the similar word to an evangelist because the preaching of the gospel is bringing good tidings and good tidings is in due which we pronounce ev and the word tiding or report or message is the word angel and so we have evangel but this isn't the word he was a preacher but he uses another word kirux which means a herald and a herald doesn't come along necessarily and give you glad tidings. A herald comes along, there's a flourish of trumpets, you're called upon to pay attention, and he makes an announcement. And he doesn't ask you whether you believe it or whether you like it. I think we've got to remember there's two sides to the preaching of the gospel. One, you plead, and you entreat. But if you keep on doing that, you'll know you'll create in the mind of some people that what you've got is pretty cheap. You do know the experiment, don't you, that sometimes mentioned someone for a wager stood on London Bridge and was selling sovereigns for a penny or down by the bank trying to give away five pound notes for tuppence and nobody would have them. And if you keep on cheapening the gospel and pleading with somebody, they'll consider it's not worth much. And this man says, I'm a herald. I stand before God and men. I pray you in Christ's stead. He's a witness, a herald, an announcer. And we do well to take heed what he says if he said like that, a like, a herald. I've given you the passages there where those words occur. He was a teacher. Now the word teacher, didaskalos, is associated in the Greek language with the word doctrine, didascalia. And when you read about our saviour as a child, speaking with the doctors in the temple. He wasn't speaking to medical doctors, he was speaking to the teachers. And the reason why we think of a doctor today as the one who gives us pills and potions is because we are so supremely concerned with the aches and pains of this human body. He is THE doctor. But you know there are doctors of philosophy and doctors of political economy, and doctors of literature, well that's not fuels and potions. So why do they all call doctors? Well the idea is this, that a man cannot be called a doctor until he knows his subject so well that he can teach somebody else. Well, he says, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. I not only have received this myself, I not only have known it for myself, but I can teach others also. Oh, what a teacher the Apostle Paul was, and how he stressed it when he was—he knew his earthly life was coming to a close, he called upon Timothy to take that form of sound words and to preach that word, hold that word, and the things which thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. There are some folks, in their zeal, and it's not for us to criticize them, they think that the only form of ministry that is worth a candle is the saving of souls, as they put it. And therefore, if anybody has received a commission to build up the church of Christ, he's supposed to be wasting time. I do remember this that when our Saviour called his apostles, the first two were fishing, and the next two were mending their nets. I think there's a point there. But if we all started fishing and nobody then did, you wouldn't get any fish nevertheless, would you? And once when I was in Aberdeen, I knew there was a strong criticism against me, so I pretended to be rather goofy. I can do it quite easily. And I said, you know, when I came to Aberdeen, I thought it was a great fishing centre. Well, you ought to have seen them looking at me. Of course it was. But I said, I passed a factory which is making ice. Another place which is storing petrol. Somewhere else, they're making nails. Somewhere else, they're splitting wood and making it very thin for boxes. But they said, of course, of course, you want all those things if you're fishing. Oh, I said, you can have it, but because I make the boxes, or I store the I or I make these things, I'm not doing the Lord's service, you see? Well, we must get a up. Look at this vessel. If we limit it to a little earthen pot, We haven't got a conception of what ministry is. We're not sitting down to a cup of tea all day long with this little earthen vessel. He's a sail on a ship. He's an instrument, a tool for a workman. Who have asked for a wider thing? And ultimately, every vessel, I still have to use the word, every instrument has got to turn to the Lord as this one did, and say, Lord, what the will have me to do? All these different vessels that are in a house can't do the same thing, can they? What a monstrous picture that would be, wouldn't it? So you see, how foolish it is for us to try to make somebody conform to our pattern. All of us should seek to conform to his. And so we have the next emphasis that he spoke about in Whitney. He spoke of himself as a master builder, and that is the word architect in the New Testament. And what he was concerned about was the foundation. Of course he said, I've laid the foundation, another man builds. Because if there's no building, it's not a foundation. It's a relative term. It's a lump of rock, or a piece of concrete. But it isn't a foundation, unless a building is put on it. But he said, my work was to lay a foundation. and other foundation can no man lay, than Christ. So, once again, he's emphasizing that great, wonderful, important act. He not only really called himself an architect, but he called himself a planter. I think we might turn to that passage of skips one or two, because of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This church was splitting themselves up into little parties. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5. Who then his Paul? Who is upon us, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, upon us, watered. He said, well, that's all. Well, it's a funny thing that I can plant and somebody else can water in our garden, and nothing grows. Have, have we done everything? <laughs> no, we hadn't. It's God that gives the increase, and if for some reason or another by climate or soil or negligence, or I don't know what, oh, friend, no, no. You stand like that. You plant. You water. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered but God that giveth the increase. After saying that, he comes back on his words and says, now, don't think I'm sweeping aside, for God too to use us. Now, he that planteth, and he that watereth, are one. Isn't that lovely? Because you could argue the point as to which was most important, couldn't you? Oh, don't waste time. They're one. They're doing the work that the Lord has told them to do. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, our version says we are laborers together with God, which is misleading. We are both of us, fellow laborers, belonging to God. That's the meaning. What well, hour The rest I must put in the next few moments. He calls himself not merely a servant, but a bond slave. Quite a number of the passages, Romans one particularly, comes to mind. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, strictly speaking, Paul a bond slave. Ending up the Epistle to the Galatians, he said, "I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus." This man who would have rebelled against being branded by anybody's mark. If ever there was an independent man, it was the Apostle Paul. If ever there was a champion for liberty, it was the Apostle Paul. But oh, how wonderful that man who would have been no man's slave goes to the feet of Christ and willingly accepts that, rejoices in it. So he says, I'm a born slave of Jesus Christ. I have been bought with a price. He has set me free by the uh, term that he uses in Galatian, Galatians for redemption, when he says, ex, ex agorazo." he has gone into the marketplace of this world, and he's put down the price to set the prisoner, the bond slave, free. He says, I am a minister, diakonos, and there are some who divide that word up into two parts, dia, meaning through, the other word meaning dust. A person who runs through the dust. A lowly job that. He says, I I am a Euparites. He said, whatever's that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It's about the lowest office you can think of. Uh, Is it 2 or 1? 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry. It's in my haste of losing time, but that's often the case, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man show account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The ministers of Christ. This word, minister, was the under rower who sat on the lowest bench on one of those great ships chained to his seat with a great sweep like rowing. And one of the tactics of war was for the other vessel to come right across and smash those always to pieces, and drive them into the very breast of the rower. And he was chained and couldn't get away from it. He says, that's what I am. Can you get much lower than that, friend, in the service of the Lord? And then he said, I'm a steward. And that gives us the word oikonomia, oikonomos, gives us the word dispensation. And I put in the same line the old English word for a steward, styward, s-t-y referring to the farm and its animals, and W-A-R-D, somebody who looked after them, said, Paul, I am the bailiff of the Lord's farm. I'm looking after that's a dispensation. Looking after us. I don't say we're inhabitants of skies in the modern sense. No, no. Don't misunderstand me. But that's the meaning. It doesn't mean time. Dispensations and ages. It doesn't mean time. It must take place in time, but it has to do with administrating an estate. And then he said, I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. And I have a chain, he says. I'm an ambassador with a chain, he uses the expression. An ambassador is said to represent one king to another country. And then, last of all, the last title he received, and one that you think he would keep quiet, but he said, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. You couldn't keep this man down, for he bore the name of Christ. And so he didn't say, I'm a prisoner because the Jews hate me, or I'm a prisoner because Roman law slipped up through Pontius Pilate. No, no, he says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he told me that I've got some things to make up of the sufferings of Christ in this new... calling that I've received, I know all about it. And if he says, prison for me, prison it is. You couldn't keep this man down because his happiness didn't depend on circumstances. It depended solely upon the fact that he was chosen, he was upheld, and he had a work to do, which by the mercy of God finished. Well then at the bottom of this chart, you could hardly see it from where you are, but there is a little earthen vessel in the shape of a Eastern lamp, a little pottery lamp, that that I should enlighten all, he writes in Ephesians, as to what is the dispensation of the mystery. That is almost the climax of his witness. Well now, I wonder whether it would be service to you if we had one more turn at this. I hope you don't know so much about the Apostle Paul and all his teaching that you say, well, I won't come if you're going to take that again, because I feel we ought to get a little idea of the various phases and aspects of the work he did. So, there's every likelihood our subject, when we meet together next time, and which we will record recorded, we hope, on the next tape, will be the treasure that was in this earthen vessel. Because after all said and done, if we are going to persist in an earthen vessel, Uh, We expect something to be in it, don't we? Well, there is, friend, there is, if only we take the trouble to search and see. So may the Lord bless us, as we've caught a glimpse this evening of what one man, at least, was taught to believe that Christian service involved. And while we can't be an apostle or a prophet or in any measure parallel with the Apostle Paul, it is still written. He's left us a patent That as he followed his Lord, so we, in our lesser degree, may seek to follow him. So may the Lord bless this testimony once again to the man who said, Who then is Paul but a minister by whom ye believed?